It's been another awful week for the national broadcaster. Last Friday, RTE board chair Shuni Rahalig resigned after her position was undermined by Minister for Media Catherine Martin live on TV. Are you going to remove Shuni Rahala from her position as chair of the board? I have to give everything consideration, but again, I, I need to hear from, from Shuni Rahali first. I think it's only right and fair that um, Shun explains this um, situation to me. But the reasons for all this are murky, and now the RTE board and the minister are in open disagreement. So what is actually going on? What does it mean for the efforts to fix RTE? And why are we still talking about this scandal after nine months? The RTE carousel, this constant saga needs to end. I am so sick and tired of coming into studios like this where all we do in RTE is talk about RTE. I'm sure you're sick of it. I'm quite sure the listeners are sick of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people people are, This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Pollock. Today, the latest twist in the RTE saga explained. I talked to my colleague Arthur Beasley. Arthur, our political reporters wrote last week of how word began to circulate early on Thursday evening that a big announcement was coming from RTE. Can you take us back to last Thursday, February the 22nd, and briefly remind us of the events that led to the resignation late that night of the chair of RTE and the days that have followed since? At that point, Sirica, there had been about nine days of relentless turmoil, another round of another bout of drama at RTE, centred at the time on the fact that the organisation had made very large exit payments to executives who had left the organisation. Breeder O'Keefe was paid €450,000 to leave. Can you repeat that? €450,000. It had emerged at an Oireachtas committee hearing the previous Wednesday that Breda O'Keefe, the former chief financial officer, received no less than €450,000 when she left RTE in 2020. The following weekend, it emerged that Rory Coveney, who was the director of strategy, the driving force behind Toy Show the Musical, had received €200,000. Rory never pushed for any any more money beyond that. Mm. Some people, many people would say he shouldn't have been pushing for anything at all. I mean, Mm. he presided over the financial and reputational disaster for RTE that was Toy Show the Musical. Mm. And the politicians at this point were were clamouring for more information. What transpired was that RTE acknowledged making a severance payment to Richard Collins. He was the former chief financial officer, but insisted that was a confidential deal, that it wouldn't breach the confidentiality. And that was the backdrop for two meetings last week in which Shunni Rahali, the chairwoman of RTE at the time, and Kevin Backhurst, the director general, met with Catherine Martin. To observers outside the room, these meetings centred on the legal advice that RTE had, the question as to whether confidentiality could be lifted from confidential payments. That was at the centre of attention. It looked like RTE was certainly not going to move and it looked like the minister was going to accept that. But that's when things started to go wrong and they went really wrong when Catherine Martin appeared on primetime last Thursday. I'm joined here in studio by the media minister, Catherine Martin. Thanks so much for being here this evening. People will have heard about this, but Arthur, what exactly happened during that 10-minute interview? 
What emerged on the primetime interview was that Catherine Martin had asked Shunni Rahali, the chairwoman, whether the board of RTE had been told of the exit deal with Richard Collins. Now, it appears that at each of those meetings that Shunni Rahali said that the board had not been, was not involved in those agreements. And I again queried, um, was 100% certainty that there was no approval by the board in these two packages. And it was again reassured that that was the case. And this was a, a, a matter of great annoyance for the minister because the former chairwoman wrote to the minister on the Thursday morning to say that she had been in error on those two fronts and that in fact that the exit agreement with Richard Collins had gone through the remuneration committee of the board of RTE. So it was approved. So there was a process there where the board had approval. Shuni Raleigh is the chairwoman of the remuneration committee. She would know it's a branch of the board, therefore the thing went through the board. She said it was inadvertent, but this led the minister to go on live TV and say, look, I wasn't told about this. It's a matter of great disappointment. Deeply disappointed at this. And I've written to, to the chair this evening and I've asked to meet her tomorrow to, to discuss this. She said, I was misinformed and when given the opportunity to express confidence in Shuni Rahali, the chairwoman, she didn't. Have you lost confidence in the chair of the RT board? I, I'm deeply disappointed, as I've said already, Miriam, but I think it's only right that um, Shun, having done such incredible work and Herculean efforts, um, especially since the, the, the crisis uh, emerged in, in June, that she's afforded the opportunity to, to talk to me. So I, I won't comment further on that, but I'm just saying I'm deeply disappointed. The chairwoman resigned within three hours, issuing a statement shortly before one o'clock in the morning uh, on Friday. What did she dispute regarding what the minister had said? In essence, she said that the minister had been told because she was in touch with the department after the agreement was reached with Richard Collins. Now, there is a dispute over that. The RTE board and the remuneration committee of the board, within hours on Friday, moved to back up the assertions made by Shuni Rahali. The minister said, however, that her former secretary general, that's a lady called Catherine Licken, who resigned last January, that she had no recollection of being told of the Remuneration Committee's involvement in the agreement with Richard Collins. She has been clear that while she was informed by phone that the independent mediation process on an exit package for Mr Collins had finally reached a conclusion, she has no recollection of being told that it was approved by the Board's Remuneration Committee. All this set off a weekend of debate over what really had happened and who was in the right. Do we know yet what exactly Catherine Martin's department was told last October? Because her account of events, as we've referenced, directly contradicts that of that of the RT board. They can't both be right. Well, they can't. You're absolutely right. On the one hand, you have the former chairwoman of RTE, Shuni Rahali, saying she told Catherine Licken, the then Secretary General, in a phone call of the Remuneration Committee's involvement. On the other, you have the Minister saying her former Secretary General had no recollection of being told about that. In addition to all that, it now emerges 
that uh, at a public accounts committee a couple of days after the agreement with Richard Collins, RTE representatives made it clear that the mandate for the remuneration committee had changed and that it was now operating under new rules and that its mandate included oversight of any severance packages agreed with departing executives. It's designed to cover not only um, executive pay and presenters pay, but also things like um, exit packages or VEPs for executive members. Arthur, this all seems so messy, how exit packages are dealt with within RTE and who approves them. But There was also the scandal over pay for presenters like Ryan Tuberty, which kicked this all off last June. And we all know what happened there. But how did such a big organisation get into this mess? Well, messy is the word and it continues to be extremely, really, really, really messy. Days after the whole thing burst into the open with RTE's statement about the undeclared payments to Ryan Tuberty, it, it emerged that the remuneration committee of the board, which you would think would have oversight of the biggest pay to anyone in an organisation, that it in fact had no oversight over top presenter pay. That seemed pretty odd. It also transpired that according to a, a line of annual reports from RTE that this was a committee that met very infrequently and that the chairwoman of the, the then chairwoman of the board, Moya Doherty, hadn't even uh, attended some meetings of the remuneration committee. So this, the very fact that this was out there in the open as an issue, as a, yet another running sore, if you like, in RTE, meant that it was significant when RTE told the Department of Media that the remuneration committee was now operating under a new mandate, under new rules. It's not without consequence, and it seems to me that would have been something that uh, might have piqued the curiosity of the Department of Media at the time. The big talking point over the weekend has been, did Catherine Martin really need to go so far? And has she not caused even more damage to RTE over an issue which could have been handled in a different, quieter way? Did Catherine Martin have other options in how to handle this, in in your view? Oh, I think there's no doubt about that. I think there's a general consensus politically that this was not a good night for Catherine Martin. She succeeded in the space of a single interview in making the RTE uh, crisis a great deal worse. She had many options, one of which was to wait until she actually met Shunni Rahali uh, on the Friday morning. She had sought a meeting with the chairwoman, went on television to say that she was seeking a meeting and then conspicuously failed to say that she had confidence in the chairwoman. So, I mean, that she was accused of a summary dismissal on live TV. And to be frank, it's an accusation that appears to have stuck. It is now generally accepted that the former chairwoman of RTE was essentially forced into a resignation. How much has this latest chapter in the RT saga damaged Catherine Martin's role as media minister? Well, in in, in a way, it's a very important moment. At all points heretofore in this long-running affair, now ongoing for nine months, soon to be ten months, we had a situation where you had virtually open season on RTE on the part of all politicians, be they government or opposition politicians. This 
latest episode has essentially opened up the government to criticism in its stewardship of this affair. There's still no sign of the whole thing coming to an end. There's still no sign of an agreement at government level as to what they're going to do to secure the funding of public service broadcasting into the future. I am doing my best uh, to manage a very difficult situation. Um, I am absolutely committed to, after consecutive governments failing to put a funding model in place, I'm absolutely committed to making that decision. And I'm at advanced negotiation levels with that, with the Cabinet. RTE has now become, a, if you like, a, a baton with which the opposition can beat the government. That wasn't really the case up until last Thursday night, even though there's clearly a lot of frustration, there's clearly a lot of questions still to be raised for the government around what the future is going to be. But it certainly is a, it was a pretty major turning point and brought the whole scandal pretty much to a very, a, a new low. Coming up, it's June 2023 all over again as the RT story dominates politics. Arthur, today we're due to have another instalment of the RT at the Arachthus Committee show when Catherine Licken, who, as you've explained, was the Secretary General at the Department of Media last October, when the exit package was agreed, she is going to be at the Media Committee. Can she shed any more light on what's really happened here? Well, it's going to be a, a very interesting hearing of the Media Committee. It's, it's supposed not to begin until 7pm. There was supposedly a three-hour time limit on the hearing. One wonders whether they'll be able to to uh, contain themselves for three hours. Either way, it's going to run very late into the night and it's going to inevitably spill over into Wednesday. So that's another week dominated by RTE. Catherine Licken, I one imagines, will be asked whether she has notes of the disputed phone call with Shunni Rahali. She will be asked, one imagines, whether the, there was any follow-up from the department on a letter which apparently issued from RTE to the department, telling the department about the new mandate for the remuneration committee. And one imagines she'll be asked also about what the department's response was to the Public Accounts Committee disclosure by RTE's then head of legal that the REMCO, the Remuneration Committee, was now operating under new rules and had met five times. Another committee, the Public Accounts Committee, will also meet today to finalise a 70-page report into the recent revelations around events in RTE, in RTE. What are we expecting to hear from this report and who will be at that committee? Well, uh, our colleague Jennifer Bray had the story in Monday's newspaper about the plan for RTE from the Public Accounts Committee. And it, em it embraces a proposal for a written policy on the use of agents by top presenters when they seek top presenter pay. It proposes oversight by the Controller and Auditor General over what goes on in RTE, annual statements on the barter account, the disputed barter account and exit payments, and a specific financial controls for big projects. That seems to me to be a, a pretty sensible set of recommendations, very difficult to argue against any of them. However, You'd have to think that the government must wait until it gets two more reports from outside scrutineers who are looking at the arrangements for presenter pay and presenter engagement and also looking at corporate governance and RTE. Now, look, at the fact of the matter is that it's well established by now there seems to have been very little, if not no, corporate governance and RTE. That's why we're still here almost 10 months later. But it seems to me that the government cannot act until it has those two final reports. 
The big question then is, can the government actually settle on a plan and who is going to execute that plan? The person charged on the part of the government with ensuring whatever plan comes out of this is going to be the new chair of RTE. Who that is, we must wait to see. What would bringing RTE under the control of the Controller and Auditor General actually mean, Arthur? I mean, how different would the state broadcaster be under its control? Well, it it, it would mean that you have a, a different level of public scrutiny over the internal affairs, if you like, of RTE. The Controller and Auditor General issues a, a, a report every single year on its work in relation to public bodies who it audits. Now, the distinction between a report of the Controller and Auditor General and the regular report of a company auditor is that essentially a regular company auditor would simply say, we've looked at the books. These books give a true and fair account of what's going on. There's nothing here that we believe should be drawn to the attention of creditors or whatever. But essentially, it's it's an exercise which doesn't delve for outside readers into the mechanics of what's going on within an organisation. The work of the controller and auditor general is a little bit different. Yes, the controller looks at the annual accounts. Yes, the controller must say that the annual accounts are true and fair and represent the accurate picture of what's going on in the finances. But the controller can also go in and have their people pour over whatever they want in an organisation, and that's the distinction. And given all that's going on in RTE, there's going to be a high degree of uh, scrutiny, external scrutiny, and I think it's a good idea, essentially. The the controller and auditor general, the annual report, is it's a piece of work that's highly respected. It does bring public bodies within the into the purview of the Public Accounts Committee. It's a very active committee, yes, People pulled before these committees say they can be very aggressive politically and all the rest of it. But after all that has gone on in RTE over many, many, many months, it seems to me that it's a good thing that you would have a high degree of external scrutiny. That's going to be critical to persuade people that this can be an organisation in recovery, which, let's face it, is going to be in receipt of very large volumes of public money for many years to come. And on that, what does all this mean when it comes to RTE's chances of securing generous funding from the government? Maybe generous is the wrong word. There has been a collapse in licence fee income. That collapse continues. It's difficult to see that's ever going to come back. The government is going to have to decide. However, for the government to go down that road and to agree a new settlement, the government has to have confidence in the people who are running RTE and the people and the systems in RTE. That's what this all is about. So an agreement over funding is one part, is one side of a coin. On the other side is what what must be expected to be a, a radical overhaul of how it goes about its business. The RTE carousel, this constant saga needs to end. I am so sick and tired of coming into studios like this where all we do in RTE is talk about RTE. I'm sure you're sick of it. I'm quite sure the listeners are sick of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people people are, yeah. Yeah, well, well, yeah, we don't all need to be... Asked about this story on air last week, Minister Simon Harris said he was sick of being asked about this. A lot of people out there probably agree with him and are totally sick of hearing about the RTE saga. Do you think the media is giving it too much attention? Well, it's still a very big story. And the reason it's still a story is that we still have these new disclosures 
coming out all the time and we still have no political settlement and we are awaiting yet more reports from people who are in there uh, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. Is there a lot else going on? Of course there is. Is it open to the interpretation that the politicians have been happy enough to see the thing rumble on? Uh, maybe it is. It's been uh, good for politics. I mean, you, the, you have people looking at uh, Eructus committees on live TV when they might be looking at Wimbledon. Politicians are glad about that. But ultimately, politics needs to function. And politics is all about decisions, compromise, and reaching a solution. This thing needs to be settled. It needs to be settled pretty quickly. We're heading into the 10th month. That's the better part of a year. It's gone on for too long. Many, many people share Simon Harris's frustration. And I think it's for that reason that the pressure will be on now, whatever happens at this committee tonight, to finally bring the thing to a head. Arthur Beasley, thanks so much for chatting with us today. That's all for today. For more from Arthur Beasley on the RT saga, subscribe. Today's episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.